You know, Jason, I'm always making decisions on trends that I see and hear in the manufacturing industry. I meet with you. I meet with our friends from our manufacturing association. And when we sit and talk about what we see the trends are in our industry, it helps me prepare for decisions I'm going to make tomorrow. That's what I think the MT forecast is really going to show me and anybody else that attends it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, Jim. You need to have that data, but it also helps if you can interpret that data. So you need to understand what is going on with the data trends and how to use that to make decisions. Dissect it, digest it, and let it resonate with you to make those really impactful decisions for tomorrow. I'm looking forward to being there October 10th through the 12th, learning from all these industry professionals, helping me make better decisions on my business going forward. And I'm really looking forward to getting up close and personal with the leaders and my peers in the industry. When is the date? It's October 10th through the 12th. Go to mtforecast.com to sign up. Bam. All right. Metalworking Nation, day two, IMTS. This place is packed. I know. This Look is at great. it. I can't believe yeah. it. More people than yesterday. That's amazing. I know. I know. What do you think? About 100,000 people? I think 119 something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> something around there. So, Jason, you know, I respect you. You're a visionary guy. You're always yeah. thinking about these crazy ideas. I kind of make you a little crazy with that, don't I? Y yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> always coming with another idea. Another idea that I got to filter away, yep. put in the inbox. Yep. Let's think about the future. Let's yeah. think about what the future of manufacturing looks like. 5, 10, 15 years from now. Gosh, 10, 15 years, things are moving so rapidly. I really, it's hard for me to comprehend what's going to be here in 10 years. It really is. I know. And for me, 10 years from now, I'm, I'm hoping I can stop and smell the roses right. just a little bit more yeah, than I Yeah, you're looking at retirement, aren't you? Well, not in 10 years, but <laughs> I, hopefully I'll be slowing down. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, manufacturing is challenging. And you know, we need I think a if we can get to, if yeah. we have a community of leaders. They can show us that direction that we're going into. Right, exactly, exactly. And you know, it's all about bringing people together. It's bringing intelligent yes. people together yes. to equip and inspire us to run our manufacturing businesses better. Yeah, because we need to know where we need to be in 10 years in order to start making changes now. I mean, I've got some of my team here, and if they where didn't have the confidence, right over here, okay. if they didn't have the confidence in me to know where the industry was going, they would lose confidence in me as a leader. You need to have that vision. Yeah. Well, we're gonna try. We've got the best guys coming up to the panel for it with us today. I can't wait. Yes. So, you know, we're doing this daily thing. I saw something cool yes. at IMTS. You saw something cool today? I did see something okay, cool tell me today. About it. I've been coming to IMTS since 1976. That's, a, that's the year I was born. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Jason. That makes me feel <laughs> real good. But you know what's great? I see all these young people. I see all these students. I see people yes. that they're just soaking up this knowledge. Yeah. They're getting excited about well, manufacturing. Well, it's bringing the average age of the IMTS attendee down. And just as like a fun fact, they did not allow anybody under 18 yes. into IMTS That's years true. ago. And just two years ago, I brought my three-year-old son here, and he loved it. And I, Doug Woods, who's the president of AMT, he was like, yeah, bring your son in. Absolutely. He needs to see what's going on in the industry. Yeah, so is he going to be a manufacturer? 
I don't know. We'll see. He wants we'll to be see. a ninja right now. So oh, he's, he's got he's, different he's dreams. A, he's in yeah, his own zone Exactly. Right now. He was a fireman, then he was a ninja. So, you know, we'll see what happens. That's his brand. Yeah, exactly. So should we go ahead? Should yeah, we let's introduce bring, let's bring our, let's bring our guests on? Absolutely. To these. So I'm going to bring the first guest on. Our first panelist is a well-educated and distinguished research scientist in energy and transportation science division and a group leader of the Manufacturing Systems Research Group. That's a lot of words. That's a lot of words. At Oak Ridge National Laboratories in Tennessee. Yeah, no, I, I did. Among his many accolades, he has a PhD, so he's smarter than you, Jim. A little bit, yeah. In mechanical engineering and has six patents, again, smarter than you and I, and, and has authored many books and publications, which you will never read because you I don't will read never books. read. I will never read. Please welcome to the stage Lonnie Love. All right. All right. Give it up Lonnie. for Lonnie. Smart guy right here. Welcome. Welcome. And our second panelist has an accomplished education as well. Graduating from Princeton University's Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. He has a master's in business administration from Harvard Business School. Again, smarter than you. A little bit, a little bit. This scholar served for seven years in the United States Marine Corps, where he was an infantry company commander. He is the CEO and co-founder of Local Motors, which is a technology company that designs, builds, and sells vehicles and other high-technology products in partnership with other global manufacturers. Please welcome to the Making Chips main stage, Jay Rogers. How are you doing, Jay? Thank you. And, and he's, I think he's better dressed than you, too, Jim. I, I, I like his bow tie. <laughs> And lastly, we have somebody that has just a great accent. He's got a better accent than you and I. Our last panelist came all the way from Sheffield, United Kingdom. He's worked at Boeing and the University of Sheffield to launch the Advanced University Research Center. His passion for the industry has awarded him with an OBE, which is the Officer of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire. Wow. An OBE is the Queen's honor given to an individual for a major local role in any activity such as business or charity or the public sector. Please welcome Adrian Allen. All right. Adrian, welcome. And these gentlemen know each other, so we're going to have a great Yeah, so we're not, we, we, we didn't have to worry too much about the questions today because exactly. they all know each other and they're great people. So I, I'm going to start off with the first question, and this is going to be a little bit directed at Jay, but I'd still love to hear everybody's input on this. How is the advent of autonomous vehicles going to affect the manufacturing industry? And what I'm specifically referring to is the automotive industry is a big part of manufacturing. We've got tons of tier two and three and four manufacturing companies that sell into those industries. Autonomous vehicles are what everybody's talking about. How are things gonna change in the next 10 years because of that? So digital manufacturing is all about being able to improve the speed of design and delivery of a part. And autonomy is one of those things that has stretched the boundaries of our mobility life right now. So we have driverless vehicles coming onto people's radar, no pun intended. Right. Um, and I think what we're seeing is the rapid adoption of both power systems and guidance systems and safety systems. And in order to be able to get out of the old, which is the way we have traditionally made planes and cars and other things in high tool cost manufacturing ways, we have to get out of that in order to be able to rapidly change with the advent of autonomous systems. So the mobility industry is transitioning and that change is necessary and it's pulling and being pushed by manufacturing methods that are different. But I think there's also sensors. So when you start looking at volumes and the sensors and controls that are being implemented on these vehicles, much like your own, as the volume goes up, the cost of the sensors will go down. 
where I get excited is thinking about how, what other industries can utilize these things like LiDAR. If I can start having low-cost LiDAR, how can you implement those on manufacturing equipment? You start looking at, at the work that's being done in AI for mobility, how can that map over to AI for manufacturing? I think, I think it's kind of a tipping point to accelerate the development of new sensors, new controls. It's a, it's a pretty cool time. Early, what, early on, Lonnie and I worked on printing a vehicle here. Yeah. For those of you that want to ride an autonomous vehicle, the IMTS ride experience is out there. Where, so, where is it, Jay, exactly? Uh, just go over the bridge. You'll see the autonomous vehicles running on the left when you walk in that direction. And in the next hall, you can get on the ride. And early on, we talked about collaborative robotics, where if the robot isn't being made in the machine, perhaps the robot itself is the actuator that moves underneath a manufacturing okay. method. And you're right. Sensors uh, can change it. Yep. You mentioned a high-cost tooling manufacturer. What would be like an example of, of what you're referring to there that is going to kind of be in the past? Adrian, your thoughts? Well, one of the things about this show, I think, that always fascinates me is the willingness, certainly, of organizations like yourself, the AMT, uh, to address this fundamental, how can I put it, Problem? challenge that... No, <laughs> oh, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. This place is actually built around, in many ways, hogging out great big amounts of metal. Right, and, uh, and that's what we know, you know? Well, yeah, and there's a lot of metal bashing going on around yeah. here, but also that's the target for major manufacturers. The cost of tooling is, is a, a major aspect it is. within there. And while ever the world wants it, to get it, better for less, people right. out there have got to look at ways of reducing the cost of tooling. And of course, all the things these gentlemen are talking about growing parts, additive manufacturing, rather than our traditional reductionary processes, it's out there. And unless we're prepared to cannibalize our key core competency in some cases and look to the future, the day will come when there's somebody out there more persistent, persuasive, that does it better than you. Yeah. And you Somebody's lose Somebody's going to cannibalize it if you don't. Well, quite, yeah. So guys, I run a own and operate a precision machine shop here in Chicago. And when we were prepping for the show, I thought, what secret sauce could you give me and the other people here that are just like me that are owning and operating small machine shops? What does the machine shop of the future look like to you, maybe 2025? And share a little bit about that. What do you think we see? Is I'm it machine pumped. tool technology, automation? Please I, elaborate. No, I'm pumped. So one of the things, Jay, when Jay first came to Oak Jay's Ridge, smiling and started talking about what he was trying to do, it really is disruptive. It's, it's really the micro factory. So having a small shop that can make anything, can make anything. You could make the same time that he's I mean, printing. turn parts, mill parts, yeah, five-axes, so, Swiss so, parts, the whole oh, thing. The same machine that can make his bus, can make furniture, can make tooling. If, and, and Coffins. Coffin. Well, let's hope it's not too soon, but wow. you can make that's what really gets to be interesting. So you're not limited to one customer. You're going to be, an, or one product. It's opening up flexibility. And really, it gets back to where manufacturing was 100 years ago, where it can now be mass distributed. You can have small manufacturing in every village, every town. And that's where wealth is created. By democratizing manufacturing, you're creating wealth and you're creating good jobs. I'm extremely excited. I'm extremely excited this week looking at how this is growing. Yeah, it really is. Right? You can smell something is changing. And I think, again, when I first started working with Jay and the whole vision of this micro factory, that's different. 
Please try to articulate what you, when you say you smell that change, what are those yeah, things? Right, Jay's so got it. I'm gonna try. Uh, okay, go. I'm gonna say something obvious to those people that are walking around you that are dutifully listening to what we're jammering on about. 90% of the people that come to this show work in small job businesses, yeah. 90%. But traditionally, it's the 10% who come to this show that make most of the purchases. That's what I think I smell the change on. Yeah. I see people that are willing to invest in new machines that are capable of doing many things. So as entrepreneurs, they smell the opportunity to say, I could use this machine to do this, 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 and this, or this process. And so making entrepreneurship part of the manufacturing future is what's so exciting. I think that's what people are smelling. It's that 90% of the people that are coming to this show, I think Peter just told us when we went down there that they're gonna break the all-time attendance record in the yeah. next five or 10 minutes here at IMPS. Oh, is that right? I did not know that. <laughs> Sorry. And so, anyway. Oh, is that, that's a hey, You're gonna get in out. trouble, not us. Secrets out. That's, yeah. that's a change. But is it the economy that's driving that, or, or what, Jay? Or is it driving the economy? I don't right? know. I, I mean, know. it's a chicken or egg. So when Manufacturing you, when, generates wealth. When you say microfactory, are you referring to one of my favorite words, people just being more entrepreneurial in this industry? Well, the basic concept was written actually out of two microfactory treatise, was written out of two professors who thought about, one was from Cardiff University in Wales, and the other one was from INSEAD University, who were thinking about if Henry Ford and Frederick Taylor or Gottlieb Daimler had the internet, and if they had basically digital manufacturing methods, what would their factories have looked like? They would have been able to be smaller because they didn't need to have the mass scale in order to be able to make money on the margin. Okay. I think that's really the key. And I think another thing is, just to give you an example of things, if you go over to, let's say, Modern Machine Shop and you look at that famous magazine that pretty much every shop has a copy of that, Comes to you look shop. at the front page on it, it goes back to the early 1920s, but you look at the pace of change on there, what's on that front page. And just in the last 20 years that I've been coming here, the way of doing things is totally different, radically different. We've got machines in here that you speak to, for heaven's sake. We've got That's knowledge exciting. Bases. That's exciting well, technology. So given that you've got that technology and it's been a linear rise, I see it being an exponential rise within there. And some of the stuff we're working on is where we're looking at the whole factory floor, however big the factory is, with this drive to actually negate the need to take the part off to check it, where it's all built in there, you're sweating your asset, and let's face it, with these machine tools, you've got to sweat that and get the money out of the thing. So I see a future where the whole factory floor is the actual machine tool bed. Yeah. Mm. And I see a drive of machines coming to the part rather than parts going to the machine. Once you know where really? that baby is, you don't want to be moving and changing it and datuming it. So I see a move with that and robotics come into it on that basis and indeed autonomous systems and vehicles like yourself there. The average IMTS attendee, they're great manufacturing leaders, they know what they're doing, but they're not the visionaries that you three are. But let's just say that they really buy into this vision that you have for the industry. What changes do they need to start making tomorrow or while they're here at IMTS in order to really realize that vision and be a part of that vision of what the future of manufacturing is? Good well, question. I think you have to think about what is that vision? Where are we going? You know what amazes me is Uber. Uber amazes me. I can get on my phone. I say I want to go to some place. And I can see where the car is. I can pay for everything immediately. My question is Uber, are we gonna have Uber for manufacturing where I can have a factory floor, it's connected to the internet, 
I can have orders coming in, it's queuing everything up, it's a highly automated, very efficient process. All my machines are being utilized at 100%. Then that gets to be extremely exciting, but you need flexibility. If you look at also the customers of the future, I look at my kids, they're teenagers, right? They mass customization, instant gratification. We need to be thinking about the customer of the future and what they're looking for and build the machines today that the customers tomorrow are gonna to be needing. Therein lies the key as well, because I think what you're saying there for our manufacturing shops, big or small, whether it's in my home country of England or America, we have to face up to the fact that and realize without manufacturing and these value-added industry, nobody's got a job. Yes. Yeah. And I think myself, I see going forward in the future, customers will go to places that have got a talent pool. You can have all the robots, all the systems in the world, but you will need some bright, enthusiastic people behind there. And this is the major thing. No point looking at no new tools, technologies, techniques, means methodologies, if you ain't got anybody in the talent pool right. to use the damn yeah, thing. So yeah. one of the things I've been working with AMT with, and indeed in England with our trade associations, is this call to put manufacturing back on the map and, and get that message through to our politicians and the movers and shakers that if we want to be a thriving town, region, indeed nation, We've got to harness the value of manufacturing. And in order to do that, we need to get this talent pool back in and somehow capture the imagination of a lost generation of engineers. And no better place to do that than yeah. here. I'm going to nerd out on robotics for a second for answering that question. You could believe in the singularity. And anybody know what the singularity is? I do not. Raise okay. your hand. I don't so know what we, a we've nerd got is. animal singularity yeah. going on got it. out here too. So know. a singularity is basically a moment in time where machines effectively become smarter than humans and they end up making the machines. That's a simple way to think about it. And so you could think about a robotic future and the factory floor as a time where humans are unnecessary and I personally don't buy it. I think that the, what you're talking about is the imagination of the parallel processing that goes up in your brain has all to do with products and usability and amazing things that you want to use. Humans are reshaping the way that this robotic factory floor is going to work. And that's soft determinism, to use a word. That is, that's a different kind of singularity. So in the next couple of years, you're going to continue to hear more about robotic systems and the collaboration between robots and people, it makes amazing magic. If you like chess, Kasparov was recently beaten by IBM's Deep Blue computer and came back and with Deep Blue, beat Deep Blue. And so the ability for a human and a robot to work together to make magic is a real takeaway. And you'll see it, go, go ride in a robot and get a sense of what that collaboration looks like. But I also think the workforce, I agree, is critical. And we have had about two decades of you know, high schools don't have shop, kids aren't working on cars. But I do think we're at a critical point because this new generation coming up is exciting. They're tech savvy. A lot of the kids in high school now have never not known life without a cell phone. They're very connected. They're very social. And so the question is, is how do we as manufacturers have to prepare the shop of the future for these students that are coming up to amplify their capabilities? Much like you said, cooperative robotics, they get it. We just need to put the tool in their hands and let them run. I mean, it is, I'm extremely bullish 
on the workforce of the future. I think we have to just enable them to realize what they can do. And also, we have to quit with the manufacturing is a dirty job. I mean, we all know all right. it's high tech. We talked about that yesterday, yeah. right here on this I, stage. Yeah. We got to we got to change the perception. Well, and, and it's, I, to it's me, really important. To me, what we should be doing is that we should be really not targeting the kids. Target the parents. parents. Yeah. Yes. Target the parents to let them realize these are high-paying, high-salary jobs, high-skilled jobs, great future. It's not the factory of the past. It's the factory of the future that we need to be gearing up for. And the manufacturing leaders that make those investments in the high technology, they're going to attract the best students yeah. to go to work for them, and they're going to grow. And the ones that are saying, well, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to spend the money or whatever it is. They're going to lose talent, and they're going to go well, to the other manufacturers. And we should, we should really take something out of the playbook of athletics. Pro football team is scouting down into the high school level. We should yeah. be doing the same thing, scouting down to the high school level, doing internships. Internships not just for college students, but for high school students. A lot of these kids, extremely talented. I, Jay knows I'm a big proponent of the FIRST Robotics program, where you get kids making stuff. That's your fertile ground for your workforce in the future. Yeah, we have a great program like that in my local area, and it's, it's a great blueprint for And it's not hard. No. It's not hard to do. The, the CEOs just need to get involved, and they need to show up on a monthly basis, encourage, and provide information. It takes time. It does, it does take, take time, time. It takes... and it also can be frustrating yep. before you get to the point where it started to snowball. Well, there needs to be a brass ring. I mean, you talk about football. If there wasn't a Super Bowl, there's nothing for yeah. a kid to look yeah. up to and yeah. say, wow, I can do that. Yeah. And so when you have a regional technical center that has the brass ring that someone can actually look at and say, watch titanium being poured, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, that is right. something that will literally emblazon on a kid's mind and say, I can do that. Yeah. And that's the, the getting manufacturing out into communities gives people that brass ring to achieve. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what FIRST Robotics has done by making the challenges local so that people can be part of it, so that they can feel it and taste it, even if they don't win. They yeah. can compete. One of our guests yesterday, Titan Gilroy, is doing that same thing, really inspiring these young kids. And they're creating small groups around the country, which, in fact, could end up competing with each other and just really amping up the industry. Right. I mean, we run challenges online with a global community at our site called LaunchForth. And today, we're launching a challenge for people who want to design a tool robot for the Air Force. The Air Force has challenges bringing tools and parts out to these huge flight lines. They took a look at what we've done with Ollie and they said, can you get your global community at LaunchForth to design the best Air Force tool for taking parts and heavy tools around? That's the collaboration that gives people a brass ring. Kids who say, I've got an idea. Yeah, there, there's a platform for that. I don't remember, recall the name of it, but yeah, it is a great platform for seeing innovation coming to our industry. So in England, just as I say, I've been coming here for quite a few years now. I used to run a conference here on trends in advanced manufacturing. Not this year, we're doing a little bit different this year, but I have a phrase at the end of the day when all said and done, more is said than done. And everybody for the last fifth of a century, two decades yeah. has talked about the skills gap, the need to get kids in. We talk about, we've got to get the parents. All of that, we all know it, but nobody does bugger all, nobody's nobody does anything yeah, about it. So. Do. So but in the UK, four years ago, we opened an academy over there, put all the latest state-of-the-art stuff in there, so kids are working in virtual reality. 250 children every year pass through there at 16 years old. Every one of them earns more than a living wage. They're all sponsored. Mm -hmm. They can go on and do a graduate. 
so they'll come out at the end of seven years with a master's with no student debt. That addresses the problem, how do you attract, entice, and more importantly, keep people in engineering? So you've just got to overcome these things. And part of the role I do over here, there are a number of places in the US that have picked up on this and say, you know, we're opening this similar academy in, of all places, Portland, Oregon, where you talk about fourth generation children, people there genuinely want to go out and smoke marijuana and go to the beach and, and surf and stuff. But so how do you get them back in? And then how do we fulfill Trump's legacy of repatriating? How are you going to do that if there's no workforce to do the thing? Right, right. So. Instead of talking about it, work with the AMT and these organizations. Instead of going in as five fingers to the federal government, I mean federal, go in as a fist and say, nobody, including you, has got a job unless we put a nation back to work in manufacturing, right. period. Right. Well, so, why do you think that there's less doers than there are talkers? I mean, is it a mentorship problem? No, I think is there's a lot to attract you in America. I mean, I love it when I'm here. There's a million other one things to take your time up and, yeah. and to coax you into things. Remember, I come from third world Sheffield, so you may as well do a bit of philanthropy around there. Cause yeah. So I have the next question. And you three leaders undoubtedly have worked through a few recessions. I know I, know I have, and it's a gut-wrenching time when that recession starts to happen. You have seen how those tough economies impacted businesses. Do you have any predictions about how a troubling economy will shape manufacturing? More businesses that are life-defining and changing have been founded in recessions than have been founded in boom times. The Dutch oil industry in Nigeria proved that and gave us the phrase, a Dutch disease. When everything's going so strongly, it's impossible for entrepreneurship to see its way through the money-making. Right. And so recessions, though tough, are an amazing time, but you need to have a capability, you need to have a setup to allow people to be able to have the skills and the, the capital and other things like that. It's why people turn to Silicon Valley to say, risk capital is available and there is a, a love for failure. That has been true. The trouble for Silicon Valley is it knows so little about manufacturing. And right. so that's a challenge. You need to put risk capital with people who actually know something about manufacturing exactly. in a recession yeah. to be able to not lose this generation of engineers that are coming through. That's, that's the challenge that's in front of us right because now. Because I feel like we're making such advancements going forward, I'd hate to move that needle back yeah. after we've already gotten there already. But that's where you do grow. It is, it the, is. The best time to grow is when, I tell a number of people, I love chaos. I absolutely love chaos because that by definition, everything is churning you can move and you can do new things when there's a lot of chaos. The hard part is keeping a cool head and keeping focus during those hard times. But that's when you're gonna make the greatest advancements. I always call that out of your comfort zone, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone yep. to make the biggest strides. Any recessions that you want to elaborate on, Adrian? I don't know. I those think... gut-wrenching recessions where everything you're, everything's going great and all of a sudden everything gets pulled back. The, yeah. the rug gets pulled right from underneath you. Well, I grew up in an area that witnessed neighbor fighting neighbor when Margaret Thatcher decided to close basically all of our, our coal mines and start because she'd privatized our steel industry. We had to go in some case to Poland to buy coal for a penny less because now our private steel industry, you know, was striving to cut costs without any care for the consequence. And so we saw unemployment at a ridiculous rate. Within 
where our first research center was built just 13 years ago. There was just eight of us, and the piece of real estate was literally where there was a civil war for the right to work. Wow. Within a half mile of that research center, there was 91% unemployment. We were one of the poorest square miles, if you like, within West Europe, and that land, you couldn't give it away. It was an ex-coal mine. Today, that same land is the most re expensive real estate for manufacturing in West Europe. Billions of inward investment comes onto it. It's the highest employment rate square mile in manufacturing in the UK. And, you know, we've got people coming day after day on there. All coming in, though, I will say, it's not just our brains at the university and our partners, it's this talent pool that we've created there. So, is it a recession or is reality? I mean, in every walk of life, when things like that hit, it's time to pull your socks up and Absolutely. do something about it. Absolutely. So I want to say one more thing on recession. It's 9-11 today. It and is so for those of us that remember, you know, a great event in New York, in the United States, I was in the Marines as a basically trained first lieutenant when I got the call, you're deploying, and we're under attack. And I'll never forget how, to me, that felt like a sea change. And I ended up deploying like crazy for seven years after that, all over the world. And I had already traveled a lot, but I hadn't been to places where there was so little hope. And I think that when you look at what a recession does, it steals hope from people in the future. Mm -hmm. And I That's think a great that answer. being able to watch some place like Sheffield rise out of the theft of hope is what advanced manufacturing can do. Yeah, and yeah. if I'm not too pointed about it, we have wars because generally people have an irreconcilable clash of wills because there is ignorance about what each other stands for. And recessions cause that. Right. And so they cause fear, they cause a loss of hope, those sorts of things. So this, when people say, buy a machine tool, give a job, make hope, right. that's exactly what we're talking Sounds about. Sounds like a tagline almost. <laughs> well, it is, yeah. it's, it's a reality. Yeah, and and we always do rise up out of that recession and we always do rise above and we create these new industries. So if you look back at history, it's not like we ever have to fear we're never going to come out of it because we always do. We always do. So there's a new generation that is very environmentally conscious. So they want to recycle. They want to make sure that we're leaving the world better. How do you think that that's going to affect the manufacturing industry from like a political and a legislative standpoint? Well, in my game, we work a lot in advanced transport systems, be it automotive, aerospace. Formula One, and one of the things in major industries, the, the reluctant to change. I mean, we all know the story, the it, legislation, it took the Titanic to sink for liners to have to have a certain number of lifeboats on. And I think the same applies to some of the environmental things, that the world is looking to tax on emissions, whether they're particulate or audio noise. And the implications of that are we have to run things either hotter, we certainly have to run things lighter to get the efficiency up, and that brings into bear new materials. And with new materials for all of this industry, that means new ways of forming them, and in some cases, joining them. I mean, super heat resistant, let's say you move into ceramics and you cannot form them by traditional, you know, you can't put holes in, so we have to get rid of mechanical joints. So that's when we look at one piece monoliths and stuff. And it's all out there, so if these major markets are forced through legislation, and they can't keep passing on the taxes that might come for high emission or, or 
you know, the industry's got to change and it's got to harness and compass. I think there's some interesting changes going on. I mean, we're starting to work with Maine in terms of the wood industry because paper's going away. And so now the paper mills are starting to shut down. That's a loss of jobs because of loss of manufacturing. But we've used wood products for manufacturing since the caveman, right? And so how can we use biomaterials for manufacturing in new ways that more efficient if you're, if you're concerned about CO2, like one material that I find absolutely fascinating is bamboo. Bamboo is a weed. It soaks up CO2. Can you process it, use it? When you're done, bury it. It's a form of carbon capture. So really, I think thinking forward in terms of biomaterials, in terms of bioprocessing, looking at energy efficient processes, the more energy efficient these processes are, the less energy it takes to use them. I think that's where there's a lot of opportunity that we need to be really focused on. So in my lifetime, the population of the world has doubled. So we are in this- Not down to you. Right. (laughs) And so, not due to me. And so we are in a geometric change of anthropogenic source. And so we have got to recognize whether it's climate or whether it's material usage or whether it is simply not enough of a precious resource like food to go around. We, we can solve these problems. And so the challenge is, how do you solve it responsibly? We need great engineers. We need great companies that can put those products in the market and that can make things that are lighter and more efficient. So there's never been a more important time. Never. Just in my short lifetime, there are two times the number of people in the world. That's why Uber needs to exist, because you can't get around with everyone owning one car and putting it in a garage. And that didn't need to exist 30 years ago. Right. It just simply, that's why your parents say, I'll stick with my car, I don't need Uber. And so, because they weren't around when you had double the number of people. And then with migration towards cities, double the number of people becomes 10 times the number of people. Exactly. And that makes all of our resource utilization that much more precious. You were mentioning off stage before we got started that you're changing the materials that you're starting to manufacture. Is it Ali out of? Yeah, um, Ali. Is what that, is is that factor go into some of those decisions? So if you go look at Ali that's driving around out there, it is a basically a Lego plastic and reinforced with carbon fiber. The current material that we use is recyclable 10 times in order to be able to put it back into the Ali. So that means local manufacturing can deconstruct a vehicle reutilize parts that haven't met their end of life and then put it back into a customer's hand. Changes the financing of the end product, changes this thought about closed loop or closer closer loop product engagement, and all those things are alive with a product like Ollie. Okay. Everyone here at IMTS today is aware of the protesting going on at all the Chicago hotels. It's been quite obvious. We've heard it. We've seen it. It's deafening. How do manufacturing leaders need to be thinking differently about their human resource in order to keep the right people in the right seats of their manufacturing companies? I'll tell you what, I'd love to go out and tell those guys they can make a hell of a lot more money <laughs> working in a factory than working in a hotel. Yeah. I mean, I don't do think need people to sign? understand. Yeah. I don't think Maybe we should invite them in. I would. I don't think people understand the opportunities that exist today in terms of manufacturing. And you don't have to have a college degree. My most valuable player on my team is a Marine, not you, unfortunately, but he's a Marine that's a technician, knows how to run a piece of equipment. They make great money, and they make, they make us look good. 
there's so much opportunity, and I think it's just that for some reason we haven't been able to get it out, get the word out that that we need help. Yeah, we need help bad. We need to create awareness. I'm going to go deep on this one. Go ahead. Henry Ford was a tinkerer. Ford Motor Company didn't take off until he was 42 years old. Okay, he had been working all of his life tinkering on how to get an auto cycle that was mass producible. Really, it wasn't until Frederick Taylor came in and said, theory of scientific management, you take all your engineers and I'm gonna show you that you should just hire people that don't know what they're talking about and they can more efficiently follow a process. So that was an interesting argument and Frederick Taylor won the argument and Henry Ford lost. And what that brought was the future of unions on the factory floor and there was a good reason for it. So we look at the unions that are out there today and my message to them is the world has changed on the shop floor. There is good money to be made because there is a living wage and knowledge that's needed. It's not Henry Ford's manufacturing right. floor anymore. It puts unions in a quandary because the, the work is not stultifying anymore. The young Marine who works for you goes to work and is friggin' fired up every yeah. day because he's doing something that's different and meaningful and not dirty. Mm -hmm. And so to me, the need for unions it may be relevant, but it has totally changed in what they could do. Retraining of your workforce is what it needs to do. Yes. Getting people to have a new skill so that they can go look after their family and actually make a difference is what needs to happen. Yeah, so instead of, instead of focusing on how do we up the wage rate, how do we re-educate them to have higher level jobs? Yeah, for sure. Adrian? So I've been here for three days and... Heard a new racket out there? Well, yeah, they're, yeah. they're outside miners. There are many hotels around here. I think the quality of noisemaking can be improved upon. <laughs> I think if... It's, they're a little out of tune. It's pretty haphazard for me. But I think a lesson that I learned, I've certainly learned, and I, I'm learning all the time about this, is how the demographics within companies, we seem to be just getting this elongated line of managers in companies. And you know, you've been a Marine and the chain of command is, it's about giving people not just responsibility, but authority. And that needs managers to know and understand and dare I say, empathize with the people at the bottom. I'm witnessing things here where, yeah, there's 16 people outside of the hotel battering something about 25 people in manager levels in the hotel discussing it. Not one of them having the courtesy to put a letter under my door and say, I apologize for the disruption. Now, if that's what senior management strategy is about, care for the customer. So a lesson I learned though, it's okay, it might sound a bit socialist knowing your workforce, but I'm a believer in one person digging the hole and then 19 layers of people checking the performance on him it is, We've got to compress that a little bit in my country and certainly over here, reporting up. But I learned a lesson that I'll share with you. I was once on a course at the Boeing Leadership Center before we opened our first center with them. And one of the things he said, take home is walk with the tall and talk with the small. And I went back and I thought, I'll get to know this. And I went into our little factory and the security guard was there and I thought, well, look, I'll socialize with him and I had some Japanese with me and I said, good evening, Doug, thank you for opening so late in the evening. These customers are gonna have a look around. And he said, no problem, sir. And I walked past and then he turned to me. I turned to him and I said, so Doug, how's your wife? And he said, still dead, sir. So you've got to watch it being too familiar, if you like, with your staff as well. Be a bit realistic. <laughs>
All right, guys, these have been great questions. What we want to do is just give each of you just a little outgoing message for the manufacturing leaders out yeah. there. Let us know what you think the future of manufacturing is going to look like and what we need to do here at IMTS to prepare for that and to really start taking action and we'll start. I, I think we got to go fast. The future is speed, speed to, pr to product, speed to market. So look at ways that you can rapidly understand what your customers want. Not that you're not already doing it, but I, one of the big pushes that, that we're doing this year, the Department of Energy has funded us to look at this dye in a day. Can we look at how can we get dyes done extremely fast so you can get to the market as fast as possible? To me, speed is the future. We need to be able to move as fast as we can. And we need to be developing technologies that we can put into hands of manufacturers that make you extremely efficient. How about you, Jay? Jay talk to your customers. Talk to your customers and also don't just talk to yesterday's customers, yeah. talk to the new customers that are coming along. And if they ask for something that's crazy, maybe take a, a second look and see is there a way that you can address their needs. You know, we learned the seven whys in manufacturing. I think there ought to be the seven whys for customers too. You know, if you're asking for something, why are you asking for that? And then why are you asking for the thing that you're asking mm -hmm. for? So talk to your customers. That's really the thing that I could say because it gives you the best lead on why you should be investing in making the next thing that you're coming out with. Adrian? I think the thing I'd leave you with is um, children of the future, period. And so it's up to all of us at whatever level to literally be ambassadors for the importance of manufacturing and engineering. We talked about horizons. You, you were saying just behind there, obsolescence is in a week now. The, yeah. the days of a Model T Ford of 20 years have gone. and. So we went through the Stone Age and the Iron Age and all the great things that come from then, the Industrial Revolution, the Technological Revolution. They were all eras that are getting shorter and shorter, but the common, th we're now in the digital age, but at the heart of all the great things, like say the Technological Revolution, things like your making, autonomous cars, baby scanners, health support systems, at the heart of all these things was an engineer. And if we at a local, regional, national level are not breeding and keeping engineers, we're missing a trick and we don't stand a chance in the future. So promote manufacturing as a career. Great. Gentlemen, thank you yeah, for your great time. Day. It's thank been you. an absolute yeah, thank pleasure. You. Okay. Fun as always. Thank you Thank you. Thank you. Wow. My head's spinning, Jim. Is it? Well, I mean, it's just a lot to take Your in. Your head's always spinning, no, Jason. I'm thinking new I'm ideas. I'm trying to control it. I'm trying to keep it <laughs> impact. Again, filter some of that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, man, the future is scary. I know. I, I think about how I'm going to run my business five years from now, and I see all this technology, yeah. this innovation, the autonomy, the everything, and it, it's a little frightening. Yeah, are you ready to start talking to your machine tool and telling it what to do? Yeah, I, I really would like to see that actually okay, okay. and see what it's I'd like to see what happens when you start doing that. Yeah, I know. Well, we're talking to our phones, right? Yeah, All the time, either Alexa or yeah, Siri yeah, or Google. Yeah. But the pace is fast, and I think that you, know, you really need to get control well, of your future. Well, that's just it. And manufacturing is challenging. challenging. And if we do not, if we do not go forward, take a chance, step out of our comfort zone. The competition is going gonna to, run you over. to encroach yeah, you and absolutely. you're gonna be out of business. Absolutely. It's imperative that we do that. It's scary, we're all, I, I get scared, you get scared. These intelligent men that we just had on stage, we all get scared, but we have to learn to push ourselves out of our comfort yeah, and zone take and take a chance. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So who do we have for tomorrow? 
it's going to be in my zone, I think. It's going to be called Social Media for Manufacturers. We have three panelists, Aisha Rasool, the founder and CEO of Soci Story. We've got Corey Kopnik, the owner and operator of Badass Machinist. You're doing a lot of swearing today on this episode, I, aren't that's you? That's the first time I swore. <laughs> you always control that. Tom Fetchko, he's the vice president of operations at Mari Tool. And I think I'm going to be able to articulate yeah, it's going and to be help fun. It's some people be fun. because I know a little bit about yeah, social and we're going media to equip well. and inspire everybody to learn a couple new skills. Yeah, so come tomorrow, 12 noon. We'll teach you as much as we can in 60 minutes about social media, and hopefully they can get some tips and tricks. If you're not making chips, not making money, bam. bam. Hey, Jason, you know we're going to be doing that live show at the reception of the MT Forecast in Indianapolis on October 10th. It is going to be a great opportunity to get some insight on forecasting the future of manufacturing. It's really important to me to know and have all that data underneath me so I can make better decisions. I just so happen to know one of the people that sit on the AMT Economic and Statistics Committee. You know, I'm going to give him a quick call to get some inside information on this conference and maybe a sneak peek of what we can expect. Hello, this is Matt. Hey, Matt. It's Jim from Making Chips. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Jim? I'm well, thanks. Hey, Matt, I just want to let you know that you're live on Making Chips right now. I'd like to formally introduce you to the Metalworking Nation. Is that okay? Absolutely. Sure. This is my friend, Matt Bain, and he is the Marketing and Analytics Manager for Mazak, and he is a sitting member on AMT's Economics and Statistics Committee right now. Is that right, Matt? That is correct. How long have you been doing that? Coming up on about... Four years, I believe. Okay. And you're going to be at the MT Forecast Conference in Indianapolis in October, right? Absolutely. I wouldn't miss it. Tell us a little bit about how long you've been going to those conferences. We know it used to be called the GFMC Conference, but they rebranded it this year to make it the MT Forecast Conference. That's correct. I've been going for, like I said, about four years. Started here actually locally in Cincinnati, my backyard. And from there, we've gone to Detroit, to Atlanta, to Cleveland, to Miami. I think that would make this my fifth year, this October in Indianapolis. And I find it's a very, very informative conference. Get a lot out of it. Jam-packed into about a day and a half, but it's well, well worth the trip. If there's someone from the Metalworking Nation that has never attended one of these conferences before, can you give them a little bit of insight into what kind of information they can pull out and extract from that conference? Well, it's really kind of up to the attendee of what they want to get out of it. As you said, it's been rebranded this year, actually, the NT Forecast. And what that means is we're focusing more on the numbers and the forecasting side of the business. In years past, we had elements of sales and marketing within the conference. So you could be a marketing executive, you could be a sales manager, you could be a business owner, right. you could be a engineer, any a wide variety of subjects were, were covered at the conference. This year, we've kind of getting more focused on the forecasting side. So really, in the business planning and the business development, the management of, of organizations, I really think 
it kind of caters to that audience. But really, it's it's kind of a numbers-driven conference. So is it kind of high-level forecasting, or is it just a diverse group of people that are going to be there sharing what they know and what they hear? It is high-level, and it's then it's down at the micro level as well. What Good. we strive for as a, as a committee and AMT as an organization is to have a conference that really, and we actually have, I believe, four different economists that speak on different aspects of the of the economy. So we have an economist that kind of focuses on the international, the the world view. Then we'll have an economist that focuses more on kind of the national view. And then we'll have some economists that even get down into the industry-specific views and regional-specific views. So it's really it kind of runs the gamut of what you're looking for and, and what the sure. information that you need to make an accurate plan. Sure. Well, as you you know, I'm the owner and operator of a small machine shop here in Chicagoland. And, you know, that information is vital to me to make good decisions on where I'm going, what I'm doing, capital equipment expenses. And what are some of the key indicators you've been hearing about the economy and the future of the manufacturing economy? Well, right now, all signs are pointing up. If you kind of look at it, every indicator, every benchmark, everything is pointing in the positive direction. Some of the things that we look at and that I look for in particular are capacity utilization across all different industries. Our product, we make a product that serves a variety of different industries, whether it be aerospace, motor vehicles, oil and gas, construction, agriculture, all these different areas. Capacity utilization is something we really, really watch. Mm-hmm. So obviously, capacity utilization is high. That means that there's going to be more need for machines. Some of the other indicators we, we really look at is, is currency. We are really? an international currency. builder. That's interesting. Yeah. Currency, huh? Tell us about that. So us being a kind of unique to the industry here, we produce machines here in the United States as well as internationally in, in Japan, China, and the UK. So currency fluctuation is, is very important to us, not only on the production side, but on the consumer side, on, on our customer side. You could see... You know, I was just reading this morning from 2016 to current to current, there's been about a 26% increase in the strength of the dollar. What that equates to is a 26% increase in the price of a a U.S. produced good. So that's something you obviously you have to be very aware of if you're going to make products here in the United States and vice versa. If you're going to be exporting, strength of the dollar is very important. So that's something we really look out for. And then when you're looking at the specific industries themselves, you know, rig counts in the oil and gas segment is is something we pay attention to. Backlog in the aerospace industry is a key indicator. You mentioned aerospace, and Kevin Michaels from Aerodynamic Advisor is going to be there to discuss key trends in aerospace supply chain. What do you see out of that particular industry? Well, the aerospace industry is what, is what they call a super cycle, meaning that typically aerospace consumption cycles, you know, the ebbs and flows of the aerospace industry is about a five to seven year cycle. We have peaks and valleys. Right now, I think they're in about a 10 year or so peak. No um, kidding. And there's really no signs of it letting up up to this point. The Boeing aerospace backlogs are seven, eight, nine years out. So there's really no end in sight on it in that industry. So as a manufacturer and as a supplier to that industry, you have to be aware of that. And we do. We do supply that industry. And, and I have to agree with you. We're seeing a lot of new inquiries, a lot of new opportunities in that particular industry. So it, it kind of aligns with what you're saying, with what I'm seeing. 
So I, I agree with you 100%. Now, in particular, machine tool sales, of course, you can comment on that because you're in that industry. What can you tell us the trends are in machine tools for the next 12 to 24 months? You know, if I was going to buy a new CNC machine tool in the next six months, what types of technology do you think would be something that I should really look at as standard? Well, as standard, I would advise anybody to look for something that makes your operations more efficient and more productive. As we all know, the skills gap is widening and it's not getting any better. So equipment that's going to help you be more efficient, more productive at lower cost is key. And what that means is your technology and your control. You have to have controls on your equipment that allow you to be more effective and more efficient. They allow you to program quickly, make changes on the fly. And then secondarily, the speeds and feeds of accesses. It's all about shortening that cycle time. Right. It's all about maximizing productivity. Well, that's great. We're thinking about ramping up and, and getting some new capital equipment in by, you know, hopefully by the end of the year. And I know at IMTS, which was just a couple short weeks ago, everyone's talking about automation and digitization of their machines. And that seems like the big buzzword is automation and digitization. So Mm -hmm. definitely need to look into that as well. But you know, Matt, I know you're a busy guy and I really respect you taking my call and talking to me and the Metalworking Nation for just a little bit and giving us a little bit of insight as to what we can see and hear at the MT forecast in Indianapolis in a couple of weeks. But I thank you again for taking my call. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, and I look forward to seeing you at the MT Conference. Absolutely, Jim. Thank you for the opportunity. And just so everyone knows, the MT Conference is going to be in Indianapolis on October 10th through the 12th. It's going to be downtown Indy at the JW Marriott. Go to mtforecast.com and register. They have discounted room rates there for $179. With that, bam. As always... Thank you for listening to the Making Chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feed of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The Metalworking Nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time.